0: So we started uh, this series about a couple months ago, but we're going to continue on examining whatever happened to the power of God, looking at where did God go, what happened to Him. He's MIA. We don't know. It seems that we have a bunch of people that claim to worship Him but have no idea who He really is because He doesn't really interact with us. If you study American history at all... um, if you're a proponent of that, I know Stan is. If you want to know anything about the uh, Civil War, ask Stan. He was. You weren't there, were you, right? No? Okay, okay, good. Good. Yeah. That's it. Well, you know, I promised your wife I'd razz you a little bit, just keep you awake during service. Normally, she elbows in, but she's not here, so I've got to keep him on his toes today. So... Anyway, but uh, if you're of American history, America was founded upon Christian principles and primarily biblical standards, our basis of our laws are through the Ten Commandments, that's why they were always in courthouses, because they knew that in order to have any kind of a law, any sort of a moral standard, you have to have some sort of a moral law giver, thus it was God. And so that was the standard of which it, it, uh, everything was laid upon. And you have revisionist historians out there today that are trying to put out things saying that the... Uh, the, the guys that founded the country were not really Christians, but were more deists. And a deist is, is somebody, you hear that often, a lot of people think that they believed in more than one God, but that's not really what deism means. Deism is the belief that there is a God, but yet he doesn't interact with mankind in any way. In other words, he kind of got everything started, took his hands off and said, okay, good luck. It's kind of the concept of a baby bird, you know, the mom feeds the baby bird, gets him going, gets everything he needs, and once she kicks him out of that nest, he's on his own. No longer being fed, no longer being taken care of. Some of you are probably thinking, I wish I could do that with my kids, but that's not really how that works, is it? And so the idea of ideas, I mean, it was, it was offensive to the early uh, founders because they hated that idea. They knew that God interacted with mankind. There was no question about it. There's stories about George Washington being shot at, that the Indian tribes that were shooting at him shot at him 15 times and couldn't hit him. And there's the stories... Maybe they're legends. I don't know. Wasn't there. Were you there? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just, okay. But how George Washington would find holes in his coat. And they shot the horse out from underneath of him, but they couldn't hit him. And he knew it was the hands of God upon him. And that how this old Indian had come to him years later after he was president and whatnot and said, you are the guy that is protected by God because we tried to take you out. I'll share a little bit of those stories as we get further on. But it's very fascinating. These guys did not think that God had his hand off. He knew that their, or they knew that his hand was upon this nation, but most certainly them. And that's the thing, is that we have a church system today that is kind of thinking God is sort of hands off, that we can just kind of go to church when we want to and worship God how we want to and when we want to, and those are all true elements, but really God has no impact in our lives. If he did, the moral standard of this country would be a lot different than it is today. We tend to just think that we, if we just take a little bit of God, we take the parts out of the Bible we like, and we throw it into a blender, whirl it all together, we pull it out, we can make it into something that we really like, something that's palatable, something that meets my needs, and something that fits the standard of which I think God should be. Contrary to what Scripture says, but that's where we are. We have people that want to live a life that is it's sinful, but call themselves Christians. Now, Christian sin, there's no question, but should we willfully be doing that? Of course not. You see, that's the problem. And so we've got this religious system that's all structured around that idea. It bothers me when I hear about pastors who can't preach things out of the Bible because their congregants won't let them. That bothers me. I mean, of all things. Now, if you want to say, I don't want your opinion on something, that's fine. But if it's in Scripture, I think it's pretty cut and dry. You know, we have people today that want to live a lifestyle any way they want, and they want the Bible to confirm it. So they go and they cherry pick verses. If I have one more person post on a Facebook post that I have Matthew seven one through five about judge not lest you be judged, right? About anything that I say, I'm going to lose it. I'm listen. We are going to find out. We may have to take up an offering for bail money, folks. That may be what happens. I don't know because what have we done? We've taken one cherry-picked portion of Scripture and said, well, you see, Jesus told him not to judge. That's not what it says at all. It's not even close, and that has nothing to do specifically with what I'm talking about today, but, but that's what we've done. And we wonder where the power of God has gone. The power of God hasn't gone anywhere. The problem is we're worshiping a God that we've made in our image. And we wonder, well, where's He at? Why are there tornadoes in Oklahoma? You know why there's all those tornadoes down there? There's way more trailer parks down there. That's just the reality of it. That's where they go. I mean, God is angry with Lincoln Riley. So he's taking it out on them. We all get it. Stan doesn't get it. Stan lives in his own world, but that's all right. Stan, you're going to stay awake through this sermon, aren't you? You know, I mean, this is just where we're at. Why why is this going? Why are we being flooded Where's God at? Why didn't He put up a barrier somewhere? I mean, good Lord, if He was good, farmers would have crops in the ground right now. Where's He at? Well, we make this God in our image and think He's kind of just at our beck and call, that He just does what we want Him to do when He wants us to do it. You read that passage out of Hebrews 8 where that you've got angels are ministering spirits to those who are, you know, of, of the, the flock, I guess, if you will, and then they'll say, I command the angels in the name of Jesus. I've heard people stand up and say, I command the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. If you hear that, you take two steps to the right, lightning's coming. I mean, we're so confused and we're so messed up. We don't have a clue what's going on, but yet we sit here and wonder, where did God go? The problem is that we have today is we've created a God in our own image. And one of those images is, is that we try to make the Bible fit what our narrative and our experience has been. And what are we talking about? We're talking about healing primarily, but really all the gifts, all of them. Where did they go? What happened to them? Why don't we see them like we did 20 years ago? You go back into the the, uh, early 90s, up into the early 2000s, there was a move of God in this country that was going on. There was a revival down in Florida that was extremely powerful. There are lives that have been absolutely transformed. I'll show you guys this video when we get there, but there's a man named Daniel Kalinda. Some of you guys know who he is. He's taking over for Reinhard Bonnke. Some of you know who he is. Some of you don't. Some of you are just like, that's the funniest name I've ever heard. And Reinhard Bonnke has a ministry in Africa. They, they, they have evangelized the nation of Africa to the tunes of millions of people coming to Christ. Daniel Kalinda is one that has been groomed to take over that ministry because Reinhard's getting a little bit older and he recognizes it. That's a big task. But what's fascinating about it, and I found this on accident about a month and a half ago, is that out of the revival that took place in Florida, there is a video of a young man named Daniel Kalinda who had given his life to Christ and was getting baptized in that moment. And now he's taking over a ministry that is, is revolutionizing the nation of Africa. Tell me that wasn't a move of God. That was a move of God. And you, uh, you guys will hear details about that stuff later. See, the problem is, is that we just, we, we just don't know. and We're like, God, where are you at? Why aren't you here? Why aren't you doing what I think that you should? Your kids ever do that to you? Like, they do something <laughs> they're not supposed to do? <laughs> yeah, he knows. <laughs> he knows very well. Isaac, what time are you supposed to wake up in the morning? No earlier. 6.30. I get up. I walk down. It's 5 to 6. I hear noise going on in that little bedroom. I open that door. And what are you doing this morning, big guy? Yeah, playing games on my iPad. Little snake. He's so much like his mom. She's in nursery. She can't defend herself right now. You see... In a child's mind, why don't you parents do this the way that I want to? Let me tell you another story about the other kid. I'll leave Isaac alone for a little bit. Is when Ariana was probably, I'm going to say six, maybe seven, somewhere in that range. Still young enough to be cute, but old enough to know better. One of those kind of things. We had a house that had a bedroom, and it had a Jack and Jill bath between two of the bedrooms. And so she was in this one room, and uh, I heard noise going on. I get up and it was about ten thirty at night, and uh, she's obviously been in bed for several hours at this point. And uh, I go look in a room and she's not there. And I turn around, I'm looking for, her, I can't find her. And I walk in and I see the light onto the bathroom. And as I'm starting to walk towards the bathroom, she comes out. I said, "What on earth are you doing?" She looked at me with a straight face. I'm painting my nails. How dare you question me? I mean, that's what's going through. Right, like, what do you think I'm doing? I'm painting my nails. It's 1030. It's like, go to bed, child. I will deal with you in the morning, you know? But, but she's sitting there thinking like, well, you know, I'm up, I'm awake, and my nails aren't painted, and they should be, so I'm going to take care of that. You see, when a child does something on their own that, to, that they know they shouldn't be doing, and a parent gets on them, we're like, well, why, parent, are you doing this? Don't you understand? They make up a million excuses. You realize we do the exact same thing with God? That God said, hey, listen, here's what I need you. I want you to be holy because I'm holy. And not only that, but I've given you the ability to do it. Because now I've taken away the power of sin. I've eliminated the punishment of it because Jesus took it. I've taken away the power of sin. All I need you to do is just follow me. Oh, God, I can do everything but that. I can't give that up. I had somebody one time tell me that they wanted to give their life to Christ, but they weren't willing to give up their friends. I said, well, then you're not willing to give up your life for Christ. That's not how that works. Jesus says, you pick up your cross and you follow me. We don't want to do that. We want that cross in a building somewhere off to the side that we can go and visit on Sundays and we'll talk about it for an hour. Then we'll go home and do whatever we want. That's what we want. we created a God in our image and we wonder where the power of God has gone. Now, when we look at this, why do we talk about revivals of old? Why do we talk about moves of God of old? Because we need to remember these things. There was many of you that your life came to Christ as a result of some sort of a move of God. Many of you have had something supernatural happen in your life. Maybe you were sick, or you had cancer, or something like that, and God supernaturally healed you. And those are things we should remember. And what happens is, in that moment, we're incredibly grateful for what God has done, but given a month, and once the excitement and the enthusiasm wears off, then it's no longer, I will follow God. It's like, God, I'll fit you in where I can. We shouldn't be that way, but we are. We allow ourselves to get too busy. We read this Psalm 77 last week. Uh, verse 10 it said I said this is my anguish but I will remember the years of the right hand of the most high I will remember the works of the Lord I will remember your wonders of old I will meditate on all your work and talk of your deeds you guys remember a time where you used to sit around and we talked about the goodness of God and what he's done God's goodness is his character it's not just simply what 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 he's done for us but it's his character it's who he is he is the standard of good and if he is the standard of good then everything that he does is good and then in Psalm 103 David writing again, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that was within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all His benefits. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from destruction. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercy. He satisfies you uh, with loving kindness. Excuse me, satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. This is the goodness of God. David's so grateful for all that he's done. And we talked about these benefits. And so when we talked about these benefits, we said there are three camps, essentially, and it gets built upon this. We're in the God does not heal anymore. I can write this morning. That He just quit doing it. He did it at one point. He did all these supernatural signs, these miracles, these wonders. Jesus performed them. The apostles performed them. But that one, when the Bible was done, it was all written. We no longer needed those. And then you got the, that He sometimes heals camp. But under one condition. And what is that one condition? It's got to be His will. got to be His plan. It's got to be for His purpose. Then you've got the camp that it is always His will to heal. Well, that can't be true because there are people that get prayed for and believe God and trust God and nothing happens. And they die. So what do we say? must not have been His will. Must not have been His will to heal them right now, but they are healed in eternity. Is that a true statement? Well, sure it's a true statement. They are healed in eternity. There's no more sickness, no more crying, no more pain, no more suffering. We love that. So, what do we do with this and how do we examine this? Well, you know, the number one thing that we have to do is check ourselves. We check ourselves against Scripture. Is my attitude correct towards God? Is my worship of God correct in the way that He wants to be worshipped? It amazes me. When we talk about worship, the first thing that comes into our mind is music. First thing that comes to mind. Because that's what we associate it with. Yet music really is nothing more than a tool that is used. The worship is who we are giving thanks and praise to God. And so you watch churches get completely divided on style of music. On the tool in which you use to worship God. I'm not going to that church. They don't sing hymns. I'm not going to that church. They have a fog machine. You guys want a fog machine? We can get one. I'm not going to that church because they they sing three songs and then they take a break and then they do announcements and then they do two more songs. I'm not going to that church because they sing the chorus three times in a row. Listen, more than twice, that's enough. We don't need to do it more than twice. That we've missed the entire point. That we're just like, oh God, I you know I don't really like that music, so I'm just not going to do that. I mean, how stupid is that? That we're going to divide. Over music. What we should be is coming together and just raising our hands and praising God. We shouldn't need music at all. We should be able to just stand here, and say, God, I love you. And I praise you and I glorify you. And I thank you for all that you've done. I'm going to worship you with all that I have and all that I am. With every fiber of my being, I want it to bring glory to who you are. Not just for what you've done for me, but what you've done for this world. And I want people, when they see me, to watch a person who just worships you. In all times, in the good and the bad, I don't care what storm comes to get me because I know that my foundation is on the rock, and you are my rock. I will worship you. That's where we need to be. But no, we want to talk about how many times we sing a chorus. I have a good friend of mine that if they sing that chorus more than twice, he stops singing. He refuses. He'll give them two. If they sing it three, he's done. This is the stuff that we 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 talk about. And so, what do we do with all of this? Does God heal today? Is it His will to heal today? The short answer is yes. But why don't we see it? Now we're going to begin to break this stuff down. We're over here right now. The idea of cessationism, that the gifts of God have ceased, they no longer exist. That the operation and moving of the Holy Spirit doesn't happen. So let me show you this list. This is the list of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. It says the word of wisdom, word of knowledge, the gift of faith, gift of healings, the gift of miracles, prophecy, the distinguishing between spirits or the discernment of spirits, the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. What are these? We're going to talk about these um, not in depth, but the idea that they still exist. Because as you saw last week as we went in this uh, idea of cessationism, that the concept that they have just gone away completely from Scripture is nonsense there are four verses that they use as proof text first corinthians 13 hebrews 2 ephesians 2 and revelation 22. these are the four verses that we looked at last week these are the ones that they show and say well yeah you see this and so therefore because of this we know that these things no longer happen god doesn't heal anymore the problem we have with that is what would it take to prove this wrong Show of hands, how many people believe in the God moving and healing today? Show of hands. Okay. How many of you guys believe that because you've seen it happen? The correct answer is, I believe that because Scripture says so. We start there. Because what happens if we pray for somebody and they don't get healed? God must not heal. Or it's not His will. You see how our circumstances are now dictating our theology instead of Scripture. We get caught in that trap all the time we don't even recognize it half the time but we get it's it's where the Matthew seven comes in what Jesus said don't judge and we just got to take everybody how they are what Jesus didn't do that when the woman caught in adultery was getting ready to be stoned and you know Jesus let her off didn't he don't you stone her that's not loving according to the commandment of the law they were well within their right and Jesus said you with who out sin cast the first stone and when they all left Jesus looked at her and said, You go and sin no more. You know what happened there? Jesus just judged her. He judged that she was sinful. And he says, Repent and change your ways. That's judgment, guys. That's judgment. That's the, the idea that Jesus didn't judge. I don't know how you flip the tables of money changers and chase them out with a whip without being a little judgmental. Okay? It's there. So we can't have that. We cannot allow our circumstances to dictate our theology. Our theology has to be based upon something bigger than what happens in our life. Because if it was always dictated off of what happens in our life, our idea of God being good kind of goes out the window because we've all had something that was not good happen to us. The thing with that is, as Jesus said, that's exactly what's going to happen. It's not all sunshine and lollipops. In this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We are no longer of this world. Our home is in heaven. What happens here? Who cares? What happens with the stock market? Who cares? Because ultimately, our home is in heaven. God's going to take care of us. Your faith is there or not. If your farm ground is underwater and you can't plant, hey, just trust God. He'll take care of it. You will survive. It might be a rough year, but you'll make it. I mean, guys, this is where we're at. If I just talked to somebody last week who has lost their home. Their home is going to get bulldozed. The insurance money they're going to get is not going to be anywhere near enough. They're going to have to completely start over from scratch. They got just enough to pay off the note on their house, but they don't have dime one for anything that was in it. She's devastated. She lives in Hamburg. She's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I said, well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to pray and we're going to trust God. And then once you're finally able to get back down there, you're going to call me and we're going to figure this thing out. That's what you're going to do. Because we're not going to worry about it. Last time I checked, if you had a bill that was due that you couldn't pay, no amount of worry ever made the money appear. Right? It doesn't. Why do we do it? It's who we are. We don't trust God. We talk about trusting God. So what do we do here? If we're going to allow our circumstances to dictate our theology, then we're going to be all over the map. And what do we see with the church today? It's all over the map. God never heals. He only heals if it's His will, or He always heals. Somebody's wrong. They can't all three be right. So we looked at Scripture. Our response to it, do we believe in the gifts and operation of the Spirit today, is always yes, but it's not because I've experienced it. It's because He said it. That is why we believe it. That is why that is our standard. We hear the term sola scriptura by Scripture alone. You'll hear these Reformed theologians guys, talk about that. The reason they don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit is because of sola scriptura. In other words, we have the Word of God. We don't need any new revelation or anything else, which is ironic because I believe in the gifts of the Spirit because of sola scriptura, because of the Word. When I read it, I see it. I watch these things happen, and therefore I want to put into practice the same thing that they did. I want to live my life in the same way that they did, including to the point that I'm willing to lay it down if that situation should arise. Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. But we're not willing to do that. We're not willing to rock the boat a little bit in this culture to live our lives for God. We just want to go with the status quo and just get through another day. So here we are looking at this. God does not heal today. That is what it is. There is no gifts of the Spirit moving today. Even if they had somebody that miraculously get healed, that doesn't mean that God still heals today. Straight out of the mouth of somebody who does not believe in the gifts. So by looking at the Scriptures, we saw that last week, that it does. Well, let me give you a few more today. And this is the last week we're going to talk about that. But I want you to be able to know beyond a shadow of a doubt what the Bible says about it. That's why we're doing this exercise. And also what else is out there. Because many of you may not realize this, but not everybody thinks the way that we do. And that doesn't mean that we're thinking right. But if we're following Scripture, we're on the right track. So another argument comes out of Matthew chapter 16. In verse 4, here's what it says. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them, and he departed. Jesus said that. How dare you think that signs exist when Jesus said only the wicked and the adulterous seek after signs? Isn't that what he just said? It's exactly what he just said. You ever wonder that when they make these cases that they usually have one or maybe two verses? Because as you guys know, because you guys have been around long enough to know this, is that there's always a context to what is going on. You can take any Bible verse you want and make it say darn near anything that you want it to say. If we just pull it out of its context without ever questioning what what it's saying. It's kind of like the idea of the separation of church and state. That concept is not in the Constitution. It's not in the Bill of Rights. It comes from a letter to Thomas Jefferson to the Danbury Baptist. It's a four-page letter, and yet the only thing we say is that there is a wall erected between church and state. We take one sentence out of the entirety of a letter, and we build case law on that. Every time the entirety of the letter is brought out, I shouldn't say every time, nine out of ten times that it's brought out in court, that the church wins. Because when you read it in his context, you realize that is not what they're saying. So the same thing here. We have a problem. Because they're sitting there saying, well, we don't want to be wicked. We don't want to be adulterous. We don't want to do this. What is this sign that he was talking about? Well, Jesus is dealing with the scribes and the Pharisees here. Who else was he dealing with 99% of the time? The scribes and the Pharisees. Who were they? These were the teachers of Israel, the the holders of the law. They were the ones that went around. They were kind of your your traditionalists. And they were the one that created all these laws out there that you can't do this, you can't work on the Sabbath, you can't eat grain on the Sabbath, you can't walk on the Sabbath. This is the reason that there are people that will not push a button on an elevator in Israel on the Sabbath, because that is work. They've created these man-made laws, these fence laws. And to try to get people to do different things and to act a certain way to meet their standard. And these were the guys that should have been knowing that Jesus was the Messiah based off the works that he and He And they didn't. They absolutely refused. It wasn't that the miracles weren't there. And it also wasn't that they weren't convinced. They weren't willing to come to him in faith and lay down their lives for that. So let's jump back. Matthew chapter 15 verse 32. Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and he said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Then his disciples said to him, where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few little fish. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and the fish, and he gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples. And disciples gave to the multitude, so they all ate and were filled. And they took up seven large baskets full of the fragments that were left. Now those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And he sent away the multitude, got into the boat, and came to the region of Magdala. Now, so what do we just see? The feeding of the 4,000. We've had another one, right? The feeding of the 5,000. And that does not include the women and children. It's only counting the men. So a lot of people ate off of seven loaves, Right? Don't you wish it still worked like that? Verse, chapter 16, verse 1. Then the Pharisees and the Sadducees came and, testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. Now, you've got to understand what's happening here. One, what did he just do? Let me tell you something. If you show up to a potluck and you take a loaf of bread and you feed everybody with it, You've got my attention. If you show up to a barbecue with a rack of ribs and you turn it into 30 racks of ribs, you're on my Christmas card list. What, what are they doing? You notice this testing him. They're questioning him. He's just performed this miracle. In fact, this isn't the first miracle he's performed. He's performed countless. Remember, there are four messianic miracles that only the Messiah would perform, and he has been performing them. And the ones who know this are the Pharisees. You got the Pharisees who are the legalists. You got the Sadducees who are the ones that don't believe in the resurrection, don't believe in angels, they don't believe in the supernatural, so they're testing him. If you are who you say you are, show us a sign from heaven. He has performed the signs that he was required. He answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red, and in the morning it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. Now we hear that term, we think the return of Jesus, the signs of the times there was the first advent of Jesus, Jesus being on the earth. He's calling them hypocrites because they're asking for a sign even though he's already given it to them. The signs of the time was there and they have recognized. And remember what a hypocrite is? It's not somebody who says one thing and does another. It is somebody who wears a mask that is pretending to be something that they are not. They are pretending to be godly and being the leaders of Israel, the one who will call out the Messiah when he has arrived. Standing in front of them, they refused to do so. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. No sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. And now when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. And Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, O you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? Nor the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up? How is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They think they're getting scolded because they didn't bring the extra loaves with them. The dude just made out of five loaves, fed 5,000 out of seven, fed 4,000. it's like, you think I care about bread? I can make more bread. We can deal with that. It's the teaching and belief, the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. The adulterous generation, the wicked ones, is them. The one who recognized the signs of the times and refused to see them. In no way is this verse ever saying anything about ignoring signs, not chasing signs, not seeking gifts. That's not what it's talking about. You guys see it in his context. This is so important because you will be questioned by people on this. What do we do with it? We've got to be able to answer these questions. Then in Acts chapter 4, you see that it relates to the apostles, early disciples. They prayed for signs. Look at this, writing in verse 27. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats. And grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. What did they just pray for? Confirm the word. You hear their threats. Lord, deal with them. But confirm the word with the signs and wonders that are done. Put out your hand to heal through the name of Jesus. If it is an adulterous and wicked generation that seeks a sign, then why did the apostles pray that the signs would come? We have scripture contradicting scripture. If our context in Matthew 16 is that only those who are wicked would seek after a sign. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 14? Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. How can we desire something if our desire makes us sinful? Why would he tell us to do that? He wouldn't. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. John chapter 2, verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. What did the signs do? They reinforced the preaching of the gospel. At the end of John chapter 20, it's the end of the book, verse 30, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. There's only one way to life, is through his name. The reason that these signs were written down is because that way you know that you can have faith in His name. You can believe in Him. The signs are for one purpose. It's the confirming of the word that was preached. Now let me ask you this. If we're not seeing signs, wonders, and miracles moving in our lives, the question is, are we even preaching the gospel for those to be confirmed? We have a generation today that in the church that all they want is the Holy Spirit to touch them. They want goosebumps. They want to feel something. That's all they want. They want it for their glory, their satisfaction. What have we done? We've taken the signed gifts and said, God, I know you gave these to the church for a purpose, but we want to hoard them to ourselves. We want services in which we just feel good you realize that the signs, wonders, and miracles that were performed most of the time never happened inside the assembly, inside of the church? It always happened when they were out ministering the gospel. That is why overseas we see more miracles take place than we do here because the signs that are happening aren't a result of going to church. They're a result of somebody preaching the gospel to the lost. The word is being confirmed through these signs. You guys see what I'm saying? We have now created a god in our image and we try to put him in this box and say, "Okay, God, do what we want you to." That's not how that works. But the idea that God doesn't heal and doesn't move because of Matthew 16 doesn't work either. There's another one. That Jesus warned at the end times that false prophets will work miracles and deceive even the elect if that were possible. So therefore, we should not seek after these signs because they're going to be false ones. Look at this, Matthew chapter 24, verse 23. Then, if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Boy, how do you know the difference? What if you're following somebody that they're performing miracles? But what if they're not right? What if they're one of those false Christs or these false prophets that are out there saying and declaring things? How do we know? Did he in any way say that we should not seek after those? That we should not operate in those? That we should not move in those? Not a chance. That's not what he said. He says to beware. The reason he's telling him to beware is because there has to be some sort of a standard to compare what is the ones of God and the ones that are not of God. Right? In fact, every time he says it, it is in preparation to beware of the false Christ and false prophets. Matthew chapter seven, verse fifteen is where we're going to start. Now, now picture this, if you will. What did we talk about earlier? The judge, not lest you be judged. Matthew chapter seven, one through five. This is the same chapter. Here's a little bit more of the context. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Now look what Jesus said here. He's being awfully judgmental to these false prophets. Okay, I'm just throwing that out there. He says, Beware of them. They come in sheep's clothing... But inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. What do ravenous wolves look to do? Destroy the flock. Now, what did I say a hypocrite was? Not somebody who just says one thing and and screws up and, and makes a mistake. It's somebody who pretends to be something that they are not. In this case, we're talking about people who claim to be a mouthpiece of God. But they're not. How do we know? By their fruits you see we know just real quick if they're saying something that is contrary to scripture we can throw it out immediately there was a, a a gentleman and we'll talk about this probably more later that was down in florida this was just a few years ago having miracle service all the big tv things picked up on this people were flying in and all of that and so I was asked to, you know, check this guy out. Somebody called me and said, will you, will you look into this guy because there's a lot of stuff that's going on down there and I don't know if this is good or bad. So I looked into it and I said, sure. I'm looking, I'm watching a few of the services and not one time, not one time did I ever hear the gospel proclaimed in all the things that I watched. Not once. All it was talking about was calling down fire from heaven and it was about miracles. So the question is, are they seeking God and fulfilling the great commission Are we seeking signs? Throw up a red flag for me. Then he began to say some different things that made me question uh, the theology, one of which he claimed that he was ministering somewhere. He had a team in England, and he was in Florida ministering, and that his team in England saw his spirit back there laying hands on people. Another time that he made the claim that he was praying in a hotel room with his team before a service, and... uh, they were praying for fire to fall down, and this is a good fire, not the bad fire, but it's just a term that we use, fire, fall down from heaven and all of that, and they left and went to the service, and they came back, and the hotel had burned to the ground, and they determined that it started in that room. I would start to question things like that. He talked about how an angel named Emma that would give him things, messages. Okay? Those are all concerning. All of it is possible, but it's all concerning. There are a lot of red flags. The number one red flag is there was no gospel being preached. What's the point if there's not? So in all of this, there's a, a movement, a group, an organization that really liked what he was doing. and They wanted to christen him. And uh, two weeks after they named him as this great apostle or whatever terminology they put on him, it came out that he was having an affair on his wife. He divorced his wife. He married his secretary, whom he was having the affair with. And he went underground for six months and then came back up and he's still out there ministering today. You will know them by their fruits. Everybody screws up. There's a difference between making a mistake and being a ravenous wolf. Big difference. All anybody needed to do was look at what was going on, what was being preached to line up with Scripture. And in this case, it did not. I knew very quickly that that was not a thing of God. Here's another one. 2 Peter 2, verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false prophets. Teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them or bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow the destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. But by, by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. Boy, do we see this today? Turn on your TV late at night. You send me $49.52 and I will guarantee you. You see, it's not seeking the sign. It is not the fact that there will be um, counterfeit miracles and counterfeit Christ. You know, when we think about antichrist, it's not against Christ, it is a pseudo Christ, somebody who's claiming to be something. There's a man, I think in Texas right now, that is claiming to be Jesus. Yeah. We've got first John four, verse one. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know that the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as the world and they and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Again, a warning. Don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe everything you see. Because we are to test the spirit. The idea that counterfeit miracles are out there, therefore there are no miracles exist, makes no sense. Have you ever seen a counterfeit $3 bill? You have not. Because if you made that at home and you went to the grocery store and tried to use it, they don't have to run the little pin on it to see if it's real. They already know. The idea that counterfeit miracles exist just proves that real ones do as well. You wouldn't counterfeit something that was fake. The idea that this stuff has gone away just doesn't line up. There will be false teachers in the end times. There were false teachers at this time. The more you study scripture and get the historical context, the more you realize that a lot of the things that were being written were dealing with Gnostics and false heresies that were being propagated at that time. So, should we abandon the moving and gifts of the Spirit just because we're a fear of being deceived? No. We need to know the Word. We need to know the truth. We need to be able to discern the fact that Satan can counterfeit a true ministry should not make us reject what God is doing. I don't care what's going on. One more thing and I'm, I'm going to be done. The other one, and this is the last one we're going to talk about, has nothing to do with Scripture. But they'll say that, uh, we, I talked about this last week, that the end of the era of the apostles, that the uh, gifts died out. They no longer existed because of the completion of the Scriptures. And so therefore they didn't need it. All we need to do is look through a little bit of church history. And if we see miracles operating, that would tell us that that statement is not true. So they will say, and when I say they, these are the cessationists. Proves that all evidence of the miracles, gifts, passed away after the first century. So we're in year 200. All right. Let me go through this quickly because I know time is short. But number one, if they did end at the first century, at the end of the first century, that in no way means that God couldn't start them back up again. Right? He certainly could. So let's just say for a second, for sake of argument, that that did happen. At any point in time, God could flip a switch and they'd be going again. Right? It's God. Because we've got to follow His will. Okay, number two, there is no way, if you look through history, any evidence that they stopped. Let me give you some names that you might know. The first one is coming from a book called the Didache. This was written by a lot of Jewish believers, and it was kind of an order of doing things, doing things the right way, Um, kind of an instruction book, okay? Here's what It says, this is just a quick excerpt. Permit the prophets to give thanks as much as they desire, and then proceeded to give instruction on how prophetic utterance were to be tested. You notice he said tested. All right. Now this was written and used in the first between AD 100 and 8600, 500 years. That's after the first century, isn't it? So here's given. Permit the prophets to give thanks as much as they desire. When they say give thanks, they're not just talking about worship. It's like give your words. And then gives them instructions on how they are to be tested. In other words, don't just open your mouth and swallow everything that's given to you. You need to test that against Scripture. Here's another guy, Justin Martyr. Lived from 100 to 165. You've heard the the term that they were martyred. Well, this is where it comes from. Many of our Christian men have healed and do heal, rendering helpless and driving the possessing devils out. Well, wait a minute. He lived past the first century. How on earth were they still doing these? Because they've done away with. Well, here's another one. Irenaeus lived from 130 to 202. We do also hear many brethren in the church who possess prophetic gifts and who, through the spirit, speak all kinds of languages and bring to light for the general benefit the hidden things of men. Those who are, in truth His disciples do certainly and truly drive out devils, so that those who have thus been cleansed from the evil spirits frequently both believe and join themselves to the church. I think there's a little bit more there, isn't there? Yep. Others have foreknowledge of things to come. They see visions. Others still heal the sick by the laying their hands upon them, and they are made whole. Yea. Moreover, as I have said, the dead even have been raised up and remained among us for many years. Now, these are all guys that the uh, churches like to say, well, these are people that didn't believe in that kind of stuff. You've got to look into their writings and see what they say for themselves. And what do we do? We just accept it in face value. Well, you, there's no examples in church history. Let's go on. A guy named Origen, this is writing from the 3rd century. Yes, like all these pictures I found? There were some good-looking cats back then, weren't there? The gospel has a demonstration of its own. This method is called by the apostle, the manifestation of the spirit and a power of the spirit on account of the prophecies which are sufficient to produce faith in anyone who reads them and of power because of the signs and wonders. The gospel. The preaching of the gospel. Okay? Well, that one. Here's one that you probably haven't heard of. It's a Latin theologian. Hilary of Poitiers. I don't know how you say this name. But he was in the 4th century, the gifts of the Spirit is manifest where there is the gift of healings that by the cure of the disease we should bear witness to His grace or by the working of miracles or by prophecy or by discerning of spirits or by kinds of tongues that the speaking of tongues may be bestowed as a sign of the gift of the Holy Spirit or by the interpretation of tongues. Well, here we see these gifts again in operation in the 4th century, in the 300s. How about Augustine? Augustine's a the name. He wrote a book called The City of God. Very well known. Catholics love Augustine, St. Augustine. A lot of people like these guys. Uh, here's what he had to say. This is out of the city of God. Many miracles were wrought. The same God who wrought those, we read, of still performing him. One miracle was wrought among ourselves. I suppose there is no inhabitant of Hippo, that's where he was from, uh, who did not either see or hear of it. There were seven brothers and three sisters, all of them seized with a hideous shaking of their limbs. Two of them came to Hippo. So what are we talking about? Seizing, right? Seizures. They came daily to the church, and specifically, especially to the relics of the most glorious Stephen, praying that God might now be appeased and restore their former health. Easter arrived, and on the Lord's day, the young man was holding the bars of the holy place where the relics were, and praying, suddenly he fell down and lay precisely as if asleep. But not trembling as he was, won't do even to sleep. All present were astonished, and behold, he rose up and trembled no more. He was healed. Now what do we just see here? There's a term out there, we'll get into this, called the slain in the spirit." And you hear people argue, "Well there, that's not in the Bible. Yeah, you're right. That term is not in the Bible. But we do see evidence. I will show you evidence of that throughout the entirety of the Bible, but here what do we see? We see the, a, a type of that going down. The man fell down as if he was asleep, which is what it typically looks like if you see that. Yes, it gets fake. Don't get me wrong there. But here it is, and he woke up and came up completely healed. Okay? Well, let's fast forward a little bit. Let's go from the 600s to the 1500s. Uh, Colette of Corby founded a uh, convent, and she was one that was known of of working miracles and all of that. This book called The Lives of the Saints tells us that they believed that she resurrected the dead. Here's a quote. The fame of miracles and labors of the carpenter's daughter was in every mouth. In other words, you don't get famous for it if it's not happening. The idea of Peter, people bringing people out that need to be healed, that Peter's shadow might fall on them, You don't just randomly pick up on that. It doesn't say that they were healed, but they at least believed it. Something caused these people to do that. Likely that it was happening. Here we go. Uh, The lives of saints are filled with stories all throughout modern day protestantship. All this stuff that goes on that discredits them. Here's another one. 1202. Joachim of Fiore wrote in his Theology of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit spoke through prophets, and that the gift of tongues is imparted by the Holy Spirit by means of the imposition of hands. Okay? And what do we see? The baptism in the Holy Spirit by the laying on upon hands. So they believe this in 1202. This is when this was written. Well, let's jump forward again. I don't want to spend all day talking about this, but in the, area, the modern era they call the Reformation, Martin Luther, all of that, they say that the Reformers in no way believed in the gifts of the Spirit at all. In fact, they will say that since the Reformation, that stuff has been completely th- thrown out. So you hear the ideas of the Reformed Church that's going back to the ideas. They're normally Calvinistic, which means that they believe that if you're saved, it's because God chose you. And if you're not, then you it's because God chose you to go to hell. I disagree with that theology. But the bottom line here is that a guy named Martin Luther is at the forefront of all of this. So what does he have to say about what was going on? I know of no worldly advice to give. If the physicians are at a loss to find a remedy, you may be sure that it is not a case of ordinary melancholy. It must rather be an affliction that comes from the devil and must be counteracted by the power of Christ and the prayer of faith. Accordingly, you should proceed as follows graciously deign to free this man from all evil and bring to naught the work that satan has done in him then when you depart lay your hands on the man again and say these signs shall follow them that believe they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover i mean guys mark 16 we read that last week right He believed the very passage. Some argue that that last part of Mark 16 shouldn't be there. It's called the long ending of Mark. That it wasn't in the earliest manuscript. All I know is that Luther believed it and that he said, here is how you put this into practice. So we see from Scripture the idea that the gifts of healing and any of the other gifts are still in operation and that they've ceased in some way is completely bunked. And then they make the argument from history, well, this stuff has gone away, it doesn't happen anymore, and the earliest believers in the church all knew it. None of them believed it. Here's a small, very small sampling, throwing that out. The idea that God doesn't heal today, that God doesn't move today, is complete and utter nonsense. So all we can say about it. That does not work. Some of you guys have experienced God's supernatural power in your life. I mean, you, you can't question that. But what about this one here? That sometimes he heals, sometimes he doesn't. It's all based upon his will. We're going to start looking at that here next week.